Life's a Mitch. Hey guys, welcome back. It's episode 24 of Life's a Mitch. So last week I spoke to Lindy about, you know, her experiences growing up in South Africa and uh, her being a, a sex coach and all that sort of thing. It was an interesting talk. So go back and check out her socials and stuff. So today we're uh, going back local, real local, a man who's from the actual same part of the world as I. So it's nice to sort of go back to your home roots a little bit. And this gentleman, I noticed through that matchmaker.fm um once again it still sounds like a tinder dating site but you know you do your best and <laughs> and uh it looked like an interesting story to tell that this uh so what i might do is kind sir would i get you to introduce yourself and uh tell us a bit about why you're on this matchmaker.fm and you know what your business is about and uh yeah please sir excellent well, my name's alan stevens i'm uh uh, a face profiler. So what I do is I teach people how to read other people more effectively. Originally from uh, Sydney, came up to Newcastle in 1975 for five months and stayed ever since. As I say, the best thing that came out of Sydney was a road north. And uh, <laughs> came up to this neck of the woods, loved it, nice and close to the beaches and have uh, stayed here ever since and probably will stay here for a long time yet to come. Well, but, So I joined uh, the... Um, uh, matchmaker.fm uh, and it does sound like a dating site actually when I told a few of my friends I'd gone on the site they all got excited and I went no guys <laughs> I'm not looking for dates <laughs> I'm looking to uh, find uh, hosts in uh, podcasting and also to find guests as well for my own po- uh, podcast that's oh, why awesome. I joined the group so uh what is what so what's the title of your podcast and does it delve into uh, profiling as well or well it's it has me working with people in that particular area it started off um as a, uh, a men's group originally a safe place where men could come and tell their stories it then uh, very quickly uh, morphed into those men then joining panel discussions i have had women in there from day one and there was a purpose in a deliberate purpose in doing that it's called the campfire project and that all came about bringing boys into manhood and helping men to become better men and for the purpose uh, of uh, being better to their relationships, their partners, and also their children and their um, uh, communities. And so from bringing the women in uh, to the group, gave them an opportunity to hear how men can speak when the men felt safe to do so. And then after that was uh, waiting for the women to put their hands up. And once we started on the panel discussions and we touched on every subject you can think of, nothing's off the table. The women were sending me personal messages saying, never heard men talk this way and we love it. Can we get involved? And I went, great. So we started interviewing the women one-on-one, brought them into the panel discussions as well. And now in two and a half years, about 400 hours of one-on-one interviews and panel discussions, and not once has anybody been rude to anybody else. So virtually with the intent of keeping it a safe place, we got rid of bigotry, we got rid of racism, and we got rid of sexism all in the one foul swoop. That's great. How good. I, I applaud you, sir. I um, There's a, a guy I spoke to in episode 18. His name's Jack Kemmer. And he, um, he's doing a similar route in the US. He, um, he's, he's, uh, he's an advocate for boys and men's rights. So hmm. what he's trying to do is similar to what you, it sounds like yourself you're doing with your initiative is he's trying to give men uh, the confidence to speak up about what, you know, what our needs are. So like, you know, hmm. as the stigma is, the stereotype is, especially in Australia, it's like, she'll be right. You know, I'm, I'm a tough man. I can, I can get through it. Hmm. But in actual fact, I'm glad to hear that you're doing something like that because it's okay for everyone, not just men, but women as well to go, you know what, put my hand up. I need help here. 
Um, mm, I'm an absolute, it. I'm an absolute advocate for that. So good on you. Um, and it's by the sound of it, it sounds like it's been received well in the community and, um, you know, like, and to have, to have everyone working collaboratively and to not have any of that bigotry or any of that hatred that, you know, stems from all evil. Um, you know, that's, Oh yeah, I'm going to check that out actually after this. That's, that sounds really good. Well, it's, uh, it went global immediately because the first, some of the pet first people I interviewed were in the States and in, in uh, England as well. And those stories is a closed group. Anyone's invited in, but it's a closed group so that we can protect everybody who tells their stories because men have always been told, suck it up, you know, be tough and everything else, you know, boys don't cry and all that sort of rubbish. And so men have got the wrong idea of what real strength is. To be vulnerable and to show that vulnerability, that takes courage. And so creating a safe place where the men could then step into that, into that stage and do that was absolutely necessary. So the one-on-one stay in there, the panel discussions, um, we've had a lot of guys working on the job. You know, they've been out in the uh, field and they've said, well, we can't watch a video while we're working, but we'd love to be able to listen to the podcast, listen to the uh, panel discussions as an audio, as a podcast. Yeah, nice. So we started sharing those outside the group as well. But the conversations we've had, we've talked about uh, pornography, we've talked about masculinity, femininity, we've talked about menstruation, we've talked about um, menopause. Men need to know about those subjects, especially if they've got, say, uh, they're young and they've got a partner, but at the same time, they're a father with a young daughter, or they're uh, getting old in years and they've got a, still got a partner there. Well, all of those different subjects men need to know about to be better versions of themselves. And we're helping men to become a man, not be uh, the man. Because everyone's like trying to be the man and trying to compete with everybody. But when somebody's a man, they're trying to be the best version of themselves. And who they want around them? Other men and women who have been the best versions of themselves. This is how we build communities, not by being in competition with everybody and trying to stand out in front of everybody. And, and we look at our, fo- our footballers, politicians, they're all failing at it trying to be the man or the woman. I agree with you there wholeheartedly. I am. Um, that's actually not really nice to hear. I am. Um, so in previous episodes, I've stated just how much I believe that, especially doing this, it's like, you know, you're able to share stories and collaborate with people like yourself. And, you know, and I, in, in doing so, you're able to collaborate and learn new things about people. And, you know, I, you know, I live, you know, from Newcastle itself, I'm only 20 minutes away. And to hear something like this going on, I mean, it's great. I mean, you know, I'm from Dubbo originally. Uh, so, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a it's a community, in, in, you know, four hours inland from the east coast of Australia. Um, you know, a small country town known for you know racism and you know she'll be right attitude, and it sucks because you know in this day and age, bigotry and stuff, like especially in a world where a lot of people, dare I say it, can be t- potentially more sensitive to issues going on. So, you know, in order to combat that, I think we need to be open-minded and have an active, active listening and actually listen to what people might have to bring up. And in doing so we can have that collaborative effort and absolutely, you know, get along even better. So, you know, I think, is that sound like, like sort of where, where where you're coming from and sort of that sort of makes sense. Exactly right. You know, we've, we've, you know, in the conversations we've had as well, to people to really understand each other, well, removing the stigma of mental health, we've gone deep into that area. I speak on uh, national or international uh, forums on both mental health and leadership, because leadership's all part of that as well. We've got um, subjects that we've talked about have gone right into you know, drug addictions and other types of addictions and gone right into the dirty side of that, the deep, 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 dark parts of it, where most people don't want to go and talk. And 
in the same time, as I said, we were having those sort of conversations and still everybody's respectful to everybody. It just shows what we can do when we have the right intent. Oh, awesome. So, you know, before the campfire initiative started, you know, where, what, what are your bonafines? What, what got you into wanting to help the community? So have you always done it as a career or is this like sort of something that's manifested over time or? Well, it's been a, a progression. Um, my father died when I was three years old and I had no male role models. The um, closest one I had to is an uncle who told uh, my fiance at our, um, my first fiance at our, my engagement party, he could do better than me. So I grew up most of my life not being connected and being out on there on my own. I might have, you know, might have said I was the nerd at school that the nerds picked on. And so uh, very uh, lonely existence growing up. But then when I joined the, um, oh, the old postmaster general's department. That was before we got Telstra today, before that it was telecom, and before that the post office and uh, the communication side were in the uh, PMG. I joined them and in 1975 came to Newcastle as a, um, uh, a senior technical officer, put in charge of a group of men. I was 23 years old, my second in charge was 38. So I had to get the staff on side. So everybody else was older than me as well. So there were those issues in doing that. So I had to start to learn to read people and understand people. And over the years, you know, I've been through uh, two divorces. I've raised three boys on my own uh, from the age of four, 11 and 12. I've been involved in the surf club where I joined in my later years in my 30s and did my bronze medallion at uh, Nobby's Beach, then became zone supervisor of uh, three beaches, not uh, the city ones, so Stockton, Nobby's and Newcastle. So I was always thrown at the deep end. So being the youngest in work, doing the surf club, same age as everybody else, but now in charge of the place, telling everybody what to do when they'd all been there since I were young kids. And uh, so it was always an area of, as I went through life, having to learn and understand how to read people and build relationships. And over the years, I think it was about uh, 2008, I was working with a, um, helping somebody run a uh, spiritual retreat. And we're using the old psychometric profiling, Myers-Briggs and DISC profiling, where you ask people questions to try and work out their profiles. And we found that um, uh, oh, somebody walked up to me at the end of the day and just said to me, you ever looked at reading faces? And so that started me on the journey then of being able to read faces for the purpose to be able to build relationships with people, not so much catching out whether they're telling the truth or they're telling lies, but uh, mainly to be able to read someone's personality at a glance. I can do that from their photographs or their um, uh, LinkedIn profiles, websites or anything else. Then I've got their, um, uh, I know how to speak to them, how to change the way I like to be spoken to them. That's the way they want to be spoken to. And then I go to the next step, which is then using their body language and uh, what they call micro expressions, little twitches on the face that uh, tell us their emotions and tell us whether they're, um, uh, we've really connected with them properly have we read them right? And last of all, are they telling us the truth? And so that's what virtually brought me through to the area of uh, reading people. And while I was working with people in business, that's where the campfire project came from because so many men were telling me they were lost in their role at work and lost in their uh, role at home. They didn't know what they were supposed to be doing because of all the political correctness, the gender equality, all of that was causing confusion. That confusion was then leading on to frustration. The frustration was then turning on to, in some cases, violence. So we found that when men were confused, domestic violence went up. And so that was a way of reducing that as well. So everything I do in business and in personal life are permanently linked together. And that's all about um, being able to understand people better and build stronger relationships. Yeah, wow. I, um, I'm really taken back by all that. 
Um, I'm curious to ask, you know, what my body language is saying, but I don't know if that'd be professional or not uh, as you're looking at me <laughs> through a camera, but um, what an incredible, like that, that makes you a superhero. It's, uh, it, anybody can do it. This is why people say, you know, if I come and do a course with you, can I be as good as what you are? And I say, well, I expect you to be better because there's a couple of things that come into this. A young child, any of the parents who are out there or anybody who's got uh, young children out there who are listening to this, just ask yourself, how often do they push you to the edge but don't push you over the edge? You know, kids know how to read us. They know exactly how to respond to get what they want out of us. And so like down the shops and things like that when they're after lollies or whatever it might be, we find that children can read adults really well. It's part of our DNA. It's part of our survival, you know. If we're able to recognise somebody through their facial features, we know if they're friend or foe, we know if we know them or we don't know them. Then we've got their body language and expressions and we know their emotions, so therefore we know we pick their energies up. We know whether they're safe to be around or not safe to be around. So does that face look like somebody I know? Yes, it does. Is it somebody that I shouldn't be around who's not so friendly? Oh, yeah, that's somebody I shouldn't be around. What's their expression tell me? Oh, they're angry. Well, I better get away from there pretty quickly putting those two things together. If it's a friend and they're angry, oh, I might want to find out how can I help them. So by putting those together, we're able to read someone more effectively. So every child can read an adult. But as we get older, you know, we start playing sports, we start doing all sorts of different things. You know, we go to school, we're learning subjects. You know, as we're getting older, we're playing sports and everything else. And it's the old saying that we take in about 2 million bits of information every second but we only process about 134 bits. So what we concentrate on is what we build more muscle with. And if we're no longer focusing on reading people because we're feeling fairly safe, we're building our confidence and growing and getting older, we may not be reading people as effectively. And so it's a skill that everybody has, but like any muscle, if you don't work it, it atrophies. And so it's a case of uh, just rebuilding that. So when people come to me to be trained, I go, well, you're going to, I expect you to be better than me when we finish because you've got your own skills that you bring to the table and you're going to get all of my skills as well. And so it um, may sound like a superpower, but it's a superpower that everybody can have, except for a small number of people who find it very difficult to actually recognise facial features and facial expressions. And some very, you know, children have that particular condition and they, it stays with them through life. Okay. So, you know, if people want to undertake said training, uh, where can they find you? And don't, I'll post all in the links below as well. So I've got the correct spelling, but you know, where, so whereabouts can people find you and tell us a bit more about like the training if you want to. No idea. Well, the best way to find me is through my uh, website, which is uh, alanstevens.com.au. So Alan with one L, A-L-A-N, Stevens, S-T-E-V-E-N-S.com.au. They'll find a lot of information in there. If they go to the success story page, you know, as I say to people, you know, I can stand up and talk all day about all the stuff I do, but how well do you know that it's actually going to work? Go and find out what other people have said. My website's full of uh, testimonials and reviews of people talking about, uh, I've read their children with ADHD, who've uh, got uh, autism and other things, and how the advice from that was able to change their lives. Uh, you'll find it in sales, you'll find it in, um, uh, in relationships, because at the end of the day, relationships are the foundation of everything we do. And that affects every area of our life, whether that be uh, finding our partner in the first place, how to hold on to that partner, then raising children, 
how to find the right uh, hobbies and sports that uh, suit us, how to find the right careers that uh, will fit our personality. And therefore, before we leave uh, school, high school, and select our final subjects, we can actually work out what careers will suit us and then find the subjects that will take us into that particular career. Instead of trying to just get educated to get a job, but uh, be uh, educated and into a field that you're going to love doing into the future. Because if you're happy with your work, you're going to be happier at home as well. If you're Absolutely. happier at home, less domestic violence, less angst with your partner. And uh, children have parents who uh, are focused and uh, on being, as I keep saying to everybody, as parents, we are not sculptors and we are not carpenters. Our job is not to turn our kids into something. We're uh, gardeners. Our job is to nurture our children so they become the best version of themselves. And in doing that, we're uh, fulfilling our role as a parent. We've got a child who then grows up to be unique in their own right and of value all the way through their life. I like that metaphor. It's really, it's really warming to hear that you offer so like such an eclectic range of, uh, you know, of courses and training and like, you, you know, dealing with children up to adults and, you know, it must be rewarding to see, you know, some of your, your students, clients go through and succeed and do good things. So my next question is, what are some of the uh, awesome projects you've had a chance to work on? Um, like I see that in your video on this matchmaker, you work with the federal police and on Star Wars, for example. That must have been an experience. Yeah, well, the uh, Star Wars one came out of a, a PR group in uh, New York who found me on social media and asked if I'd be interested in going to uh, London to um, do some work with uh, Disney Films and Gillette. They were doing a joint venture at the time. Disney Films had taken over Lucas Films and uh, they were now owned the, uh, the, the Star Wars franchise. They were about to launch the Rogue One Star Wars movie. Yep. At the same time, Gillette were um, uh, launching a new Razor and they were using all the players from Rogue One in the, uh, the ad for the Razor, which was quite a, an interesting ad because it started out flying into the beach ready to fight the, uh, uh, the Empire and you know the cannons are going, the lasers are firing, they're jumping out of their, their aircraft into the water and everything also splashing and all the rest. When the two sides are looking at each other, they then reverse in direction and uh, jump back into the, uh, so just reverse the video itself. So they're jumping back into the planes, the water's going back into the, you know, the puddles again. At the same time, the cannons, the lasers going back into the cannons. So everything's reversed right back into the muster room where they've been briefed. And then from there, it goes into uh, one of the guys in his um, uh, own bathroom shaving. And so in that, it, um, that was their approach to uh, how this new race can change the man, be that warrior and everything else. But it's a very expensive uh, video or ad. And they got me to be a part of uh, explaining to the media that they flew from around the world, about 120 journalists, on the stories the face tells before you utter a single word, because as I say, we're, I'm looking at you on the camera here and I've got your personality just through your facial features. And so explaining that to the journalists, the easiest way to do that was, uh, as I said, well, how does it work? I spent three hours just profiling one journalist after another and getting their uh, colleagues to confirm whether I'd read them right or not. Yeah, wow. I'm curious. I've got to ask, what is, seeing me, my facial expressions, how do I come across? Well, it's not so much your facial expressions first, because while you're on the camera here, yes, your facial expressions, you're focusing on what you're talking about and everything else, but it's your facial features that um, I focus on first of all. I know that by the shape of your face, and that is a good level of what I call innate self-confidence, how things feel inside. 
I know there's a dry sense of humor there. So I know that we can have a pretty laid back conversation. And by the way, I can pick these up from your photograph. So I have this information before I even go and talk to you. That's cool. But I also know that you're going to be concise when you're talking to people as well. You're not going to waffle on with big embellished uh, uh, communications. I know that when you uh, uh, take information in, you're going to analyze it, get as much information as you can before you make a decision. But once you've got that decision, it's just going to be the best way to do it and get out of the way and let me get it done. And it's how things feel inside so that when you get... Um, uh, you're working on a project and you're, it's a little bit stressed, don't come over and uh, tap Mitch on the shoulder and say, come over here and give me a hand because Mitch is not going to be happy with that. <laughs> but if I'd said to you, Mitch, I know that you're busy on something. I can see you're really busy there. I can see it's important, but I really do need your help. How much time do you need to uh, get that to a point where you can come and help me with five or 10 minutes be okay? And if you told me 10 minutes, I'd be coming back in 11 or 12 and letting you know that I gave you extra time as well. I like that. That's, yeah, wow. I get goosebumps. <laughs> I need that ability when I'm swiping on Tinder to see what the girls are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got quite a few uh, people saying to me, it's, it's quite funny when you've got either young women or young men saying to me, you, know, um, you want to go down to the pub? What are you doing on Friday night? <laughs> I'm not being your wingman. <laughs> <laughs> That's gold. <laughs> but I did have one guy one day he asked me to... Um, go and have a, a drink. And I said, yeah, we just come from another event. I went, yeah, right here, let's have a drink. I said, but you get the drinks in and um, I won't be a wingman, but you tell me what you think's going on in the room and I'll tell you what's really going on. And of course we went into uh, the hotel, he got the drinks and he, I said, well, what's going on? He said, well, that guy over there is doing really well. I said, no, nah, he's going home alone. And he said, but the girl next to him, you know, she's tilting her hair, she's doing all this stuff. The biggest problem is people keep, um, when they, you know, like, they get on stage, they give a talk about, they're there to entertain. And quite often people take that as an education and mismatch all the facts. They miss a lot of information. And so, yes, she was playing with her hair and everything else, but the, the way the head was tilting and where the eyes were looking, were telling that uh, her interest, yes, she was interested, but not in this guy. It was another guy on the other side of the room. And I went, and he's going home alone as well because he's missing all the, the uh, indicators of what was going on. And so all the other indicators we talked about at the end of the night, as they turn the lights up in the hotel, as you know, and you know, last drinks or you know, try and get that last opportunity to try and you know, find somebody to go home with. And at that point, the uh, guys walked out, got in the cab and went home. And I heard one of the uh, girls say to a girlfriend, well, let's go up to uh, Finnegan's and we'll see who can buy us drinks up there. Yeah, well. So, <laughs> it was obvious. If you, all the, the, they refer to that uh, as the ugly lights because when you're dancing with someone all night, the ugly lights come on and you see just what they look like. And then you go, <laughs> oh, sorry, champion, I've got to get out of here now. <laughs> but if you can get away with a night full of free drinks, then, you know, power to you. I um, I usually, when people read me, they just go, oh, mate, you are a showbag. You're an absolute full of shit. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I um, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that. I um, I, So I've, we've been talking now for you know half hourish or whatever it's been and i can automatically tell that people would have the highest amount of confidence in you i mean when i look at you i know you're a man of you know you're a man of stature you're a man of integrity you know you obviously you don't mind a laugh because you laughed at my ridiculous content and um you know you're just you're, you're a guy just trying to have a crack at making the world a better place and that's that's the kind of people i love having on here it's it's the healers of the world for the most part you know, there's been some interesting stories told thus far, but 
the one common collective thing is that it's just people having a crack trying to better themselves. And I, yeah. I, I applaud you tremendously, sir. I am um, not to, you know, I don't want to blow wind up up here, but it's like to know that something like that's going on in my own backyard. I mean, I, you know, it, it restores your faith in humanity a little bit. Um, and you've, and you worked on one of my favorite franchises of all time. So like I tip my, my beanie to you. I'm wearing a beanie this morning cause it's cold and I'm bald. So doing my best to level the playing field, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, so that's interesting. And uh, have, is there any other interesting stories or like funny memories you've got in your journey thus far that you can share? Uh, well, when I'm teaching people, it's always a lot of, lot of laughs. Well, it's like I gave a, um, a workshop in Melbourne the other day. And as I promised, I'd bring somebody out the front when we finished the, uh, the full day's training. And there was a couple who brought their uh, child along. The boy was probably about, you know, one and a half, two years old. And um, so I asked them to come out the front. I profiled their son for them. And then I uh, started uh, and told each of them how they know both, because they're both different personalities themselves, mum and dad. So I taught and showed them how to change the way that they like to be spoken to to match the way the child is. So told them what the boy would be like in the next few years, what sort of uh, hobbies and sports and things would suit. And then I looked at both of them and I went, and now for your turn. And I said, when you two are talking to each other and gave the, the both uh, parties tips on how to uh, uh read each other, how to understand each other and how to deal with situations. Because every trait we have has an upside and every trait we have has a, has a downside. And the combination of all the traits define who we are. And so with that, the end result, um, they had a better understanding of each other and the, the laughter we had going on in the room and the twinkle in their eye at the end of it was quite um, one of the reasons why I do what I do because I, people always get results. I've got some people who are still doing testimonial videos for me 10 years after I worked with them. Uh, yeah, wow. mother of a boy was who was six years old when I first profiled him he's now 16 and she's still sending me messages on how their life has improved and everything goes and especially when he had um, has Asperger's and he was heavily medicated when he was younger and all of that we were able to uh, change so he had a, a better growth as he's grown up he's turned into a very uh, incredible young man that he wouldn't have uh, been able to get to that level if he'd been on the medication uh, that, that had him on originally. But if you change the way you speak to anybody, automatically you change their environment, you change the uh, their behaviour, and therefore uh, straight away you get a, uh, a different result from them. So if you make a, a environment for, say, a, a child who's got Asperger's or autism more conducive to their personality, the less they're going to get triggered, and the less they're triggered, the less you need... Um, heavy medication yeah nice so you know that's 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 really really not it must be reassuring i sort of you know it must be like gratifying to hear things like that you know a decade later that's that's awesome so is that sort of thing similar to like you know you take it you you take that sort of that whole like 10 like you when you speak to people in the professional sense you tailor to their their personality style so it's like you know i used to have a boss who was F and do this, F and do that. I, I come from a background of earthworks and roadworks and in mining. And, um, you know, as opposed to a boss that goes, hey, would you mind doing this? Would you mind doing that? Hmm. You take away that superior, inferior complex. And you just, hmm. when you ask someone, it takes, you know, takes away that potential conflict. Um, so that's it. sort of the similar sort of like vibes to what you were saying? That's it. That's it. As soon as I can talk to somebody in the way that they need to be spoken to, I'm going to get greater co uh, cooperation. 
somebody who has to bully. And we found it through COVID. When COVID hit, the biggest turnover in, in uh, positions in Australia, I heard, was leadership roles. And the reason for that was that we don't have many leaders. The people in those roles, a lot of the executives were pretty much, you know, like the uh, ex-boss that you just mentioned, the, the bully. They only got things done by intimidation. Well, if you, you know, if you look at your personal relationship, you have a great relationship. You feel that you're loved when you feel that you belong, that you contribute, that you have a place, that, that uh, you value. It's no different to your employees. If you do that, with your employees, you treat them in a way in which they feel valued, that they contribute, they have a place and they belong. The end result is you can go off on leave and the company will not only survive while you're gone, it will also grow because those people will step into the role and take on those jobs and, uh, and they're loyal to you. But when you've got somebody who has to use thuggery or threats or anything else, they're actually robbing themselves if, if it's their company, simply because You've got to keep your eye on everybody. You've got to micromanage. And when you micromanage, the people being micromanaged will only do what they have to do to make sure they don't get into trouble and they keep their jobs. So their productivity drops. And that's what happened through COVID. Everybody working from home, most of these managers didn't know how to lead and therefore couldn't manage their, their staff when they couldn't see them sitting you know, in a chair with, you know, looking at the back of their head, watching what they were doing. Yeah. And that, so, that the complete. Fair. Yeah, that, absolutely. That, that totally makes sense. You just uh, took me back to, so one of my, when I, when I did my apprenticeship as a, as a road build landscaper, I, um, I worked on a project where the art was for a state government body. And we had a lot of contractors in and we had a foreman who was just, you know, the bully. And uh, we used to call him gravity because he brought everyone else down. And, mm-hmm. um, you, to have that level of like having the, the need to micromanage, he would focus on the wrong things and holistically would miss other shit going on. Mm. And in oh, doing yeah. so that toxicity that he had, the hatred that he put onto to other people, it ended up shooting him in the foot because he missed out on other parts of the project and, mm. you know, deadlines weren't met, you know, morale was down, um, you know, and. You know, it's I, I picture misery as like this toxic black sludge that just likes to inv- infect everything it comes across. But as mm. you said, if you approach people proactive, not reactive, you know, and you have the foresight mm. to go, you know what? Hey, Alan, today, you know, would you mind doing this? Or is it okay if you give me a hand with this or whatever? And leaders that get involved themselves, I find in my experience that the credibility, credibility is everything. That's it. So the, you are able to read someone's personality, you know where they're, their true gifts are, you know what they're good at. You know, where we went wrong with our education system is at school, the things we're not good at, we have to put more time into. And so we work on our weaknesses at school more than anything else. Then we go out into the bigger world and we apply for a job. They're not, a, in, uh, what do you call it, employing us for our weakness. They're looking for where our strengths are. And teams aren't made up with people who are the same as us. They're made up of people who are different. And so what I love doing, somebody else is going to hate doing and vice versa. So if I know that and I can understand that, then I can bring the right people together in a team so that they complement each other and they're not fighting over what they love doing. Everybody is able to do what they love to do and they contribute to each other and work well together. If you think about it at school, this is why I talk a lot to school kids, you know, the kids that you don't like at school don't like the things that you like. They don't like the same people that you like. It's your friends who like the same people that you like and the things that you do and everything else. 
And so at school, that's great. But when you go out into the big world, your friends now become your competition because they're after the same jobs. They're also after the same partners. But the people that you didn't get on with at school that had, didn't like the stuff that you liked there don't want to do the things that you do. They want to do other things. And they like uh, partners that are different to the ones that you like. So they're no longer your competition. They become your collaboration because they then become the team. So the people that you didn't like at school change your attitude because the end result will be they're the ones that are going to be your allies in the workplace later on. Mm. And, and so always another way of dealing with bullying. It's showing that understanding. Oh yeah. I agree with you hundred percent. It was, I remember one of the bosses, I, one of my mentors, I, I worked at a council not long after I was with the state government body and he, he was a mentor of mine. I looked up to him and he always said, he said, Mitch, the mightiest weapon isn't the sword or the gun. It's the pen. Mm. And he said, if you ever get yourself in a position, which I was, uh, I was, uh, I was made staff. So I had a few projects and stuff going. And he said, you know, you have the ability now to, to choose if these guys get overtime or not, which, you know, I didn't, I, I was always like oh, the boss that always asked, not, not told. And he said, you know, in doing so, these people can be your best friend or your worst enemy. Like, I was younger than some of these guys by about 20 years, but, you know, having that, that chance to, to right the wrongs, you know, cause you know, I had a, at school, you know, we, you have, you have arguments and your apprenticeship, I got treated like shit cause I was a young bloke, rah, rah. But like, you know, you have the chance to break those bonds and make it better for the next next time round. Um, and like your advice just now is is sort of resonating through me because, you know, it, it, you're right. It's, it's all about, you know, empathy. It's about compassion. It's about, you know, if you pay to be a professional. So in doing so, that's active listening, you know, cons- consultation. It's all about, you know, I wouldn't say maybe not nurturing but you know if you are actively openly talking to someone in a non-confronting way then that would in my opinion make most businesses run even smoother that's it so if as you know it's common it's sense and this is what gets me if you walk up to somebody and you smile at them you get a smile back you know you walk down the street and you smile at everybody people will be smiling if you go up to somebody and you scowl at them or you go up and you look at them threateningly they're going to respond in kind to that as well they're going to pull back from you or they're going to be, you know, show you equal aggression. And so we are everybody else's environment. So if we want to make a change in the world, we have to be that change first, behave in a certain way. If you want your staff to be loyal and contribute and everything else. And I put a post up on LinkedIn a couple of uh, years ago and all it was is a picture of Richard Branson and the statement, take care of your employees and they'll take care of your business. And that generated some responses. And I followed it up with another post and a video. And between the three, there were over 100,000 interactions on uh, Facebook or on LinkedIn, I should say. And the comments that were coming from a lot of business owners, business owners were actually fighting each other on this post because some were saying, no, no, clients are more important. And others saying, no, no, staff are more important. What people don't realise is that just from that little analysis, I said, you'd scowl at somebody or you smile at them and the response will get back. Who's dealing with your customers? If you're the senior management, you're not dealing with the customers. It's the frontline people who are dealing with them. If your frontline people aren't happy, they don't feel that they belong there, that they're only there to pick their pay up. There's, they feel that they're being treated like crap. The end result will be that that energy is going to be flowing onto your customers. And so you start losing customers, repeat customers start to walk away. And so by looking after your staff, and I don't mean by wrapping them up in cotton wool, I don't mean by paying their loans and other things like that, but freedom in a way in which they feel respected and that they contribute, 
And the best way to do that, if you're able to read their uh, personalities, you know exactly how to treat them. And once they're feeling that they're uh, contributing, that they belong and everything else, they will then be loyal to you. And yeah. so once you've got that loyalty, and as I said, you can go on holidays and you've got the right people in those roles, the ones who can then also work the um, and lead the teams, then your company will grow in your absence. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. Absolutely. Be a decent human. You know, mm. and in, in turn, you'll get more above decent results. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> right. Out. So I might, um, might change it up for a bit. So every episode, we um the connective tissue that one thing that everything every episode's had in in common is is a section of the show where we like to just sit back relax have a good old whinge about something that's that's grinding our gears so alan i'd like to ask you would you like to have a bitchy with mitchy today oh sounds like a good idea I and mean, we may have to put a time limit on this one because i can let loose no let loose sir what's something that's uh or several things that have grinded your gears you know what's something that's a like a pet hate of yours this is a safe space. Well, one of the things is recently I um, interviewed uh, Dr. Jerome T. Luxon on the Campfire Project, and Jerome put together the International Men's Day uh, back in 1999. I think it was November 19th, his father's birthday. And uh, 1999, yeah. And on that uh, day, he's been keeping the, the whole project growing. And then he's also got another one called the uh, International uh, Day of the Boy Child, which is not only helping men to become better men, but how do you bring boys into manhood? Now, I know that with the International Men's Day, there were a few uh, universities that banned the day simply because it was promoting uh, men. Now, the message that that put out, that went right against the feminist movement. It destroyed their position even further because one of the things is people forget that we're connected. If men feel that they're, they don't belong, like that message went out to every man who heard it, that saying that every man is part of the problem. Well, if you're telling every man who feels that they're looking now, they're, they're looking after their wife, they're raising their children with love, they're you know, doing the right thing in their community and everything else, and you're telling them that uh, no man, you know, every man is responsible for every other man, then you're telling them that all the work that they've done is for naught. It's for nothing. And so those men now go, well, why should we bother? And if we don't bother, well, then, you know, the end result from there is you've got men becoming more angry, more isolated. You know, we just saw it in two schools in Victoria where they got the boys in both cases to get up and apologise for being male. In you know, one school, it was being white, white male and also um, uh, Christians in that Christian school. And that was a council worker who came into the school and got them to do that. That is child abuse. Anybody who, and it, it, this even goes to parents. And one of the things when my first wife left, I had three boys to raise on my own. And in raising them, I realized that if they didn't respect their mother, they would have problems like I'd been through a lot of relationships after that, um, uh, that marriage and before it. And I realized that um, they'd repeat my history. So they had to learn to respect their mother. So that was my job, I'm the male. I'm the one who had the problem with her. So I had to teach them how to respect their mother. And in that, you know, one of the things, one of my oldest boy, or oldest boy when he was 18, came to me and he said, oh, just, just wanted to let you know that we were really lucky to have you. And I went, but, you know, your mother and I are separated. You know, I've been divorced for years. Oh, yes, but, uh, and I said, what about all your mates? They've got their, husbands, their mothers and fathers are living at home. Oh, but they're all fighting. You and mum don't bag each other. And the boys respected that. They felt they had two homes to go to. When one partner bags the other partner, what they don't realise is, Say the, the mother is bagging the, uh, the, the ex-husband, 
uh, or the husband is uh, bagging the, uh, the, the mother, the end result is they're telling the child of the same gender as the one they're bagging, but that half of them is no good. So when a mother whinges about their father, their boys, the boys are getting the message that half of me is no good. The end result is you're going to lose their respect. You know, bag your partner, you're the one who will eventually lose the respect of your children. And this is one of the things that we're finding that people don't realise the connection between the, uh, the genders. When you turn around and you ban International Men's Day, what we virtually told was that no, no man was any good. We virtually told the men, don't bother trying anymore. And so men are frustrated. What happens when men are frustrated? They get angry. And when, in some cases, they become violent. You know, they disrespect women at that point. It's one of the reasons why the Campfire Project was designed to make sure that men and women would uh, treat each other with respect and in treating each other with respect, we'd be able to find out more about each other and value the differences, realise that we're complementary, not trying to be the same as each other. So uh, my little whinge job the other day when I saw this post, yeah, the, um, in my privacy in my own home, the air turned blue. I was quite angry at the fact that uh, you know, they told the boys to, um, to apologise. And that trauma it puts on those boys, the end result is they grow up and they go, where's our future? What can I do? And actually what you've told the, uh, the girls of the same age, that uh, you're not going to be able to find a man of, when you're ready to find one because they've all been told they're not good enough. That absolutely makes my blood boil hearing all that. Um, I agree with you in terms of like, you know, the, you know, the relationship, it's if you are hostile, then, you know, the negative energy you put out is what you'll receive in the end eventually. And your kids will resent you. I, I'm a fam. I'm a, a kid of a, of a, of a, set, a separation my parents split when i was eight or nine and to this day they've actually they've uh they've been and uh dad and mum like have been great uh, there's never been animosity there it's always been civil like it didn't work out cool so what's best for my brother and i and they always you know they made it work um mm. together you know they'd argue and bitter and you know so separate you know they live their best lives you know 20 odd years on um just in regards to the whole like international men's day and, you know, ha having the boys have to, that is absolute BS because the idea of, you know, the, the definition of feminism is about equality, not about men are shit and women are superior. That's BS. And masculinity is, you know, it's all about equalness, you know, like, so, you know, on one hand, which is amazing that we do, we, we celebrate international women's day on March 22nd, I think it is. And, yeah. You know, yeah. and we're all about celebrating all things women, equality, you know, standing up for, you know, the feminist movement started in the 60s and and women in that time have done a great job in telling us what they need and what, how, you know, society can help them achieve things like equal pay, uh, less less domestic violence cases, um, you know, uh, pay gaps, you know, et cetera, which is fine, which is great. I'm all for that. I'm, I'm, an, advocate, I'm an advocate for it and I hope that women get to where they need to go. But in terms of men's health, you just reminded me. So the conversation I had with Jack, uh, he's he's uh, he's written uh, books on male. Like he used to host a radio show. He's written books into helping you know fellow man, and he gave out some scary statistics in regards to like suicide, high suicide rates in men in the US. And it's because of that. Like the one common consensus he said is that it's because of that consistent men feel inadequate, men feel like shit, and there's nowhere for men to go to. There's no safe space for them because like. You know, it, it, you know, in mining, in you know, in in there's, there's higher suicide rates in men because you know chances are 
he's working away and that he, he's made to feel inadequate by his relationships back home, comes home, finds us a, a crappy scenario, his family's left or whatever. And then, you know, he's, he's no longer with us. That's one, that's what happened to one of my friends. And um, now I, it's, I know I'm going to be biased because I'm a male, but um, it just what you said earlier in, in the podcast, it's all about if we have a safe place like the campfire initiative. So if there's issues then let's sit down and let's talk about it. Like, you know, that's it. if men, you know, it's okay. So one of the stigmas is that men don't speak up enough. Cool. Let's sit down. Let's get men like yourself who are credible and know what they're talking about and leaders in that field. And let's hash it out. It's time for men to talk about what they need, you know, and some active listening from other genders as well. And, you know, and then they can go, okay, this is what we need. Cool. No, no, I don't know how, what, what form you could do this, but even in your day-to-day relationships, people, if you're out there and you're struggling relating to other genders or, you know, even in your own like anxieties and your own like nervousness or whatever it might be, I can't say it enough. It's okay to speak up. There are places like Beyond Blue or Black Dog Institute or that are free to, to look at and to talk to. And there are people out there like services like Alan that can help you do, you know, become the best version of yourself. So I, I personally challenge anyone out there who might be listening, even if it's one person feeling vulnerable and in a state of, I don't know where to go, what to do, then look up Alan's website. I mean, it'll be underneath afterwards. So be able to have a look, click on that and look at the testimonials. And from there, in turn, I believe you'll start to feel good about yourself. So I, you know, I'm sorry, but it, it fires me up as well. Just to hear about that inequality, you know, it's like that toxic energy just, it's how racism is formed as well. Someone has a bad opinion and then they go from there. You know, it's bigotry, sexism, racism. It's all It's all just, it makes the world an evil place, in my opinion. Yeah. So one of the things is, yes, we've had a lot of groups like Me Too, Men Too, all those groups that started and they were absolutely necessary at the time, you know, highlighting problems that we had. But the problem is that when we have individual little, well, they're virtually like tribes, and tribes look at each other as the other tribe is the problem. So we stare at each other saying, you're the problem. No, you're the problem. I created the campfire project and the hashtag we together, because when we stand together and shoulder to shoulder, we're looking at the problem itself. We're not looking at each other as the problem. The moment we look at each other, we're now getting into confrontation. But when we're looking at the problem going, okay, how do we fix this together? Because men can't do it on their own. Women can't do it on their own. But when we bring it together, it's one of the things like, you know, we're so complementary. The, the value comes in our addition to be together. It's like, as a man, if I can learn all the skills and everything else, but how can I really truly understand how I can be strong and gentle at the same time, unless I'm able to, you know, nurture a child, look after my partner. You know, if I can't do those things, then as far as I'm just a boy, the thing is that we're calling men and you know, some women good and bad. You know, you're either a man and, or a woman or you're a, a boy or a girl. There are a lot of men who are going to their graves in their 70s and 80s who have never matured into manhood. And I think what we should be doing is not so much saying whether somebody is a good man or a bad man. We should tell the guy who's doing the wrong thing that he's a bad man. doesn't care. But if you'd say to him, hey, stop acting like a boy and start acting like a, a man, you know, by looking after your partner and looking after the people around you in your community. You know, tell them at a grown um, uh, male that he's a boy. It really gets under the skin. So if you want them to change, call them what they really are. Don't tell them that they're bad men. Just tell them that they're boys. You know, grow up. 
start to mature, start to look after the people around you, respect your partners, respect you and love your kids. You know, it's not all about you. The more that you focus on other people and help them, the funny thing is more people will focus on you as well in return. What you put out is what you get back. Nice and simple. Not hard to, you know, to, to work through. Common Sense 101. The universe is a powerful thing. And it's funny, you know, talking about that, what you give out is what you put back. So if it's okay, I wouldn't mind sharing a quick story with you if that's all right. Yep. Please. So this podcast started late last year, early this year. Um, I put out there in the universe that I wanted to start a new project. And like, I've always wanted to do this, but you, you get on that, what I call autopilot. Life happens. Work home, work home, work home, week repeat. It's, um, you know, and, and I was in that for a long time and I make no excuses. I'm, a, I'll, you know, you're captain of your own ship and you are responsible for your own life experiences, of course. So crazy things are happening today and last night. So in turn, so last month I went down to the TV show Mastermind on SBS. They let me on and they let me wear a scrubs onesie. So if you're not familiar with how the show works, it's you have two rounds First round of questions is your topic. So I picked the show Scrubs and in that Scrubs show now has a podcast called Fake Doctors, Real Friends. And I've got a big green onesie on national TV. You got my bald head glistening in the lights. It looks horrendous. And um, the, the host put out a video last week to promote the show, 200,000 likes across social media. And um, the show, the the actors fr from the show, Zach Braff and Donald Faison got tagged in this so much that they had me on their podcast record on the weekend it was released yesterday and um you know that never would have happened if i put the effort in to start this podcast and promote yourself and make myself look like an actual like giant green dickhead on tv <laughs> so that airs tonight at 6 p.m on sbs and you can stream it but yeah like it's i know it's probably a, a stupid funny example of it but you can there are there are many ways shape or form that you can you can attack this and I got, you know, free advertising to half a million people and all I had to do is wear some green fabric and look like a dumb bastard. It was great. Yeah, I just grabbed my pen and paper then and wrote that down. So I'll have to definitely go and have a look at that. Yeah, it's airs tonight on SBS, six o'clock. Um, and you can stream it on the SBS app too. It's I'll uh, I'll send you the video, the, the video link. It's, you'll just look at, oh, my goodness, what a specimen that is. Brilliant. I love it. But yeah, I, so I guess, yeah, my bitch of the week is, um, yeah, don't, don't sit on the sidelines. Um, if you want to make the change, change it. One gripe with me is that, you know, it, it's it's frustrating to hear, like, you know, you don't want to hear your friends or your loved ones go through a hard time. But one of the most frustrating things is that they don't have the ability to see that they need to make the change and that it's mm. the same issue time in, time again. And it's just like, mate, if you're not going to help yourself, I cannot do it for you. Um, mm. So that's my frustration of the week. That and I kicked my toe yesterday. It still bloody hurts, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so that was yeah, that's that's the the bitch of the week. So we'll wrap things up shortly, Alan. But before we go, is there any uh, anything else that you want to touch on, or any advice out there to any potential listener that might be feeling any of the feels that we've spoken about today? Yeah, just remember that you're not on your own. One of the things is that I know that when they brought the secret out, they said put it out to the universe, and the universe will provide. What they forgot was that. Uh, You've got to be part of that yourself. You've got to be the centre of your own change. But being the centre of your own change doesn't mean you have to do it on your own either. It means finding the right people to have around you to be able to um, work through the issues. You know, find, if you're looking for a coach, for instance, find a coach who has been through what you've been through. 
one of the biggest, my biggest bugbears at the moment is a number of coaches or everybody who's becoming a coach, especially life coaches who haven't worked through their own stuff yet. Yes, become a coach, but work through your stuff first and then to be able to recognize who the good coaches are. Ask them. If you're going through stuff and somebody says they can help you, ask them what they've been through, how they've actually dealt with things themselves. And if they have, then you're talking to somebody who has some experience. If they haven't, then go and find somebody else. But don't sit there in misery and find other people who will support that misery. Find people who will then help you to find the direction forward. There's plenty of people out there who are willing to do it. Just put your hand up. Always come and join the Campfire Project and uh, come in, listen to the stories that people are telling. Then when you're ready, tell your own story and uh, you know, become part of a uh, global community of people who really care about each other. Mm. And uh, we used to hashtag, I just wrote that down before the hashtag we together. So I might, I'm, I'm going to actually research the, the Campfire Initiative myself and have a look into it. I might even come down and have a, have a look-see. Um, so, well, you know, say it's a global community, so it's all on Facebook. Yep. And all the talks, the interviews we do are all via Zoom. So, um, you know, it's uh, been allowed to bring people because the first people I interviewed were America and then England and into Australia and New Zealand. The only two continents or two places I haven't interviewed people so far is the North and South Pole, but we're working on it. Well, we might be able to set up a Zoom to the um, Antarctic Research Station or something like that, maybe. That's what we're looking at. Um, you know, <laughs> keeping up morale in those cold times. But, you know, um, you know, I, I want to say on behalf of, I would reckon, a lot of people. Thank you for what you do. I mean, you're obviously a world healer. You you know, and what you're doing is, you know, you have your own style of making the world a better place and in doing so, creating a positive atmosphere and making it so it's okay to speak up, you know, and that the science and art of reading people has manifested itself into this global phenomenon and you're absolutely killing it, mate. So good on you. And um, thank you. I'll, I'll yes yeah, so once again i'll include all the um all the socials and i'll even link uh some of those youtube interviews underneath as well and um yeah so thank you for coming on episode 24 today sir and i'll um i'll get this out soon and i'll uh I'll, hopefully we can keep in touch from here on oh that sounds like a great idea as you said we're only about 20 minutes apart so there's got to be a coffee shop there with um a couple of coffees with our names on it Maybe we'll be able to do some. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd buy you a latte for sure if that's what you drink. But and we can people watch. I oh, sound sounds good. But for now, sir, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I hope you have a great day. Thanks very much, Mitch.